little bit sassy, little bit crazy, little bit classy. We got dreams and we got goals. We're just a couple of old sassholes. Hello. Hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to A Couple of Sassels Podcast. I'm Brooklyn Maple. And I'm Heather Terry. And once more, this is our power hour of true crime, fucked up people doing fucked up shit for fucked up reasons or no reasons at all. That's true. It's, it's true. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Ain't some shit, some shit. That is some shit. It is. Oh, oh that's a very last. <laughs> so Heather and I, whenever we record, one person's on the in the captain's chair. And the other person's in a spot where they cannot see anything. Any, yeah, they can't see the board. So they don't know how long we've ran. We don't know how long we're like bantering. You don't know if we need to hurry. We try to stick within like that sweet spot of 45 to like 52 minutes. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, for our live event, I was like, we need little timers. And I accidentally bought two instead of one because... I've read the details really hard and fast on Amazon. <laughs> and so today we we're like, we're using these. I bought them, literally haven't used them for four recordings. <laughs> and I'm like, today is the day. Today's the day. We're going to be on time. You are going to be informed as well as I'm going to be informed. <laughs> We've talked so many times where we're like, so I felt really stressed because you kept looking at the board. So I thought it was too long of a time and I needed to hurry. And it's like, let's stop this. This fucking charade. Stop that train. Yeah. Because sometimes we'd just be like, and, and then he cut her head off. Okay, the end. Bye. <laughs> and then it's like, dude, that was like 20 minutes. I know. We, we had a lot tell. more time. We have so much fun. We just can't tell. You're That's so true. That's right. Um, so you've been gone all week, which I don't know what to do anymore. Honestly, I was not expecting to be in my job forever. And I'm like, now with Heather gone for the week, I'm like, I don't know if I can work without you. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty spoiled. It's changed some things for me. Like, I definitely don't care for it. Like, 100% if you ever left, I'm leaving within 42 hours. Oh, same. I'll just um, be like, can I put carry my shit out too? I need to go turn in a letter real quick. I, I got to write this real quick. <laughs> I got to write this. Shoot off this email. Because <laughs> like, I can't do it. Yeah, same. I don't think I could. I, I, no, I don't. It's not that I don't think I could. I know that I could not do it. Emotionally. I could not do it. We're emotional support humans for each other. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And the fact that our offices are across from each other, like, yeah, it's, I just can't. I can't either. Life's too good right now. Start singing. I can't live without. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> you do it. You're yeah. the one that has been in Listen, concerts all week. I can't sing if I sound like Macy Graves because my voice, this is better than what it was yesterday because I messed up on my schedule. <gasps> what? I know, right? What? And then I had a trip booked uh, for Madonna in August in Cleveland for two days with my gays. And then that she got sick and it got pushed to February 8th. I did not push that in my Outlook calendar. And then my dear friend Melissa Clark said, hey, do you and your husband want to go see Pantera in Nashville? And I'm like, you know what? That sounds fun. Sure, Will. I'll go for you. Whatever. Yeah. They have a bar. So... I do this, then I go to check my calendar to put Pantera in there after the tickets and non-refundable Airbnb were booked, and then I see that I'm going to be seven hours away from here in Cleveland, Ohio. 
<laughs> so, man, we got up at, uh, let's see, we went to bed after Madonna, which it was amazing, by the way. Oh, my God. I cried twice. Good so, for you. Yeah. And she only was two hours late, which is like on time for her. Yeah. So, you know. We got to text Chad and let him know. Oh, yeah. Everyone asked me <laughs> at like something at work and they were like, when does Madonna go on? And I was like, does anyone understand that I'm not fucking at the concert? <laughs> I love when people ask, like, I really, that's like somebody being like, so when is Brooklyn going to be at the top of that mountain? Brooklyn doesn't fucking know when she's going to be on the top of that fucking mountain. I would know, though. I'd be like, uh, probably about 11, 12. <laughs> right. She texted me an hour ago and said she'd be right back and she's on this dot. So maybe. <laughs> And then it's anyway. Yes. So yeah. So I had Madonna. We got home. Uh, I think I fell asleep about two a.m. Woke up at five thirty a.m. and oh, drove God. for three. I had to drive the first shift because they graciously said we could leave early, so I didn't have to drive by myself because uh, flights were not in the question. Because I was about to fly from Ohio to Nashville, and then I decided that's nice like, of your friends being like, "I'll yeah. leave at the ass crack of dawn when I didn't have to leave," and they could have had the whole day in Cleveland. Oh yeah, they they were Sweethearts. fine. They had shit to do and everything anyway. They were like, "Oh, that's cool." So then I got home. Hugged Will, pet Trixie, walked in, took a shower, and I left 30 minutes later for Nashville, which is two hours from here in Kentucky. So, and then as soon as I got there, I had to get ready and go to the show. And then Oof. I was out. And then luckily after the show, they were like, let's just go hang out at the Airbnb. I'm like, no, okay. Because <laughs> normally I'd be like, nope, we're going to a bar. <laughs> yes. But I took, I came home, drunk, ordered some pizza per usual, ate one piece of it. That's always Heather's. I love that. And we I brought it home that. yesterday. <laughs> I've woken up many a time to pizza boxes yeah. that I didn't know about. That's right. I love it. I love that that's Heather's drunken food of choice. I, that it's it's, Cause it's easy go-to. You can't really fuck it you up. You can't fuck it up in a town. And everyone has it, and you know that it delivers because you it's a delivery really item. It. Yeah, and they were huge because instead of medium, large, extra large, they had inches, and I was drunk. So I did not know. I walked in, and <laughs> Melissa and Sam and Will go, are people coming over? <laughs> like, Because I got two pizzas and some mozzarella sticks. What? How big were the pizzas? Big yeah. as fuck. Like, we all four ate on it, and it's still, like, we ate on it yesterday, too, and there's still pizza left at my house <laughs> right now. So it was a fun journey, well-rounded weekend. Love it. But, yeah. And then I'm, the whole time, I'm like, I wish Brooklyn was here. She liked it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, ah. <laughs> at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I was, I felt like a poser. I was like, Will would love this. Why am I here? But it was right. Cool. They still had like Missy Elliott that. stuff and Cheryl Crow and the Beatles and a Madonna exhibit. I wish I was more into music in general. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of wish I w had more of a vibe for it. Mm -hmm. um, and I do. I used to love music and I used to be really into it. And then I got into audiobooks. And like, yeah. once you're into like, I don't know. Once you're into that, you I'm also anytime you're using an audiobook, you have like a specific amount of time for the most part. Like I use the Libby app. So like on my way here, I was finishing up Make Your Bed, which was an Army Navy SEAL talking about like important things that you need to do throughout life, which one of them was like. So in the SEAL experience, whenever like basically every day they're judged on certain things if you don't do and it's fictitious shit like. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pick on you today because you're the person who I want to pick on where you have to get completely wet and then roll around in sand. And then you have to do all of your shit with sand in every crevice of your body. And they call Oof. it your you're the sugar cookie. <laughs> and so at the end of the day, if you if you are the last one, you get stuck going into the circus, too, which like makes you have to essentially every day you're exerting your body even more. So that the next day you're still so tired from the day prior, you get bumped into the circus. But basically what they're talking about is like every day 
day, no matter what, like you're eventually going to be the sugar cookie and it has nothing to do with you. Like I had a really bad week at work. Yeah. I like got my ass handed to me and it was, it's just, I don't know, one of those things like the day's going to suck and people are going to fucking suck. And at some point you're going to be the fucking sugar cookie. Just make it through your fucking moment. You know, you did. You made it. I made it. You survived. Barely. And I'll be back tomorrow (laughs) and it'll all be all will be right in the world again. Yes. Because I'm done with my Midwest concert world tour. I am I am grateful for that. <laughs> I don't think I have a lot to tell you about in my life and what was happening before. So we can hop into this story, if you will. Okay. Today's a solo journey, if you didn't understand by the fact that Heather's been gone and drunk for a few days, <laughs> concert touring through everything. It is just the Brooklyn Rodeo today. I'm so thankful for that. Oh, Good man. God. I'm grateful that Heather was super chill because I did not finish my research and then I left my research on a laptop that I couldn't get into because I couldn't remember my fucking fat passcode. <laughs> So I had to redo all my shit this morning. Um, And then that just, it is what it is. At the end of the day, it is what it is. Luckily, I hadn't gotten a ton of work done on it. Like I had my framework and it would have really pissed me off. If if I had taken one extra 15 minutes of work on this, I would have fucking lost my shit. Yeah, you seem very, very chill about about it because normally you would have been, I would have gotten a lot more expletives. I would have shown you a snap of me smashing my laptop because like when you put a lot of effort into these, fuck that to lose it yeah. or to not have access to it. That's right. But anyway, it was just my lack of preparation, which is fine because I had a shitty work week. That's right. I did the best I could. That's right. So. Okay. So I'm going to do Delphine LaLaurie, which is Madame LaLaurie. I'm super excited about this. 64 Parishes, The Mistress of the Haunted House, which was written by Carolyn Morrow Long. I got some great information from that. Uh, great job, Carolyn. You're a wonderful writer. Uh, my entire memory of season three of American Horror Story with Kathy Bates. I haven't seen it. Oh, my fuck. It's the Roanoke one. Motherfuckers, man. Fuck with you in your head. <laughs> fuck with you so hard. And then, of course, uh, my bitch wiki. So currently, all of the events that we'll discuss happen inside of this awesome ass mansion that's in Louisiana, which essentially ended up being the reason that you and I have planned our trip. To go to Louisiana this year. Oh, my God. I can't wait. Yeah. So that's our. And I probably should have done this story whenever we were in Louisiana. But um, there's so many good fucking stories in Louisiana. It doesn't fucking matter. But we are going to this mansion. Oh, my God. So, really excited. Yay! Um, Obviously, they have tour groups. I don't know that you can go inside of it. Oh, we'll go. We'll like, get in. <laughs> well, I was reading and I was like, and then they were just talking about like an outside. So I'm not 100% sure, but we'll figure it out. We're going on. in. It's on the corner of Royal and Governor Nichols Street in the French Quarter. Apparently in April of 2007, actor Nicolas Cage bought this. Huh? Yes. So he owns it? For $3.45 million. And uh, to protect the actor's privacy, the documents were arranged in a way that his name never appeared on them. On November uh, 13th of 2009, the property, which was then valued at $3.5 million, was listed for an auction as a result of foreclosure. <laughs> so Wait, what? I mean, that was a that was a straight up copy and paste from Wikipedia. So I'm pretty sure there's it's well known that Nicolas Cage had financial issues. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's a thing. Oh. And so it was purchased by the region's financial corporation for two point three. So it was bought for three point four five, sold for two point three. And supposedly it last changed hands in 2010 when it was purchased by its current owner, Micer Marker. Micer? Micer. God. Micer Jordan. He's my favorite basketball player. <laughs> Michael Whalen for 2.1 mil, which is now they're saying in 2022, it's like 2.77. Yeah, okay. Just casual money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what I find super interesting about this story is that it's really fucking gruesome, but it's also kind of expanded upon 
based off of folklore. So at the end of the day, there's a ton of terrible fucking shit that this like bitch did. Mm -hmm. But there's also a lot of people that are like adding uh, stuff. We're pretty sure that people then added to this. Really? Yeah. Like then she had a tail. Then no, like disemboweled people and wrapped the fucking intestines around their body. Like crazy shit. Ooh. She did a lot of bad stuff and there's evidence of the bad stuff. But because we're talking about the late 1700s, early 1800s, mm -hmm. essentially we're we're accounting all of this based off of letters to people. So pretty much if people went through our phones and checked out our texts and, oh, there were, and people were spilling the tea everywhere, <laughs> that's pretty much how all of this was like gathered. Could you imagine? Oh, no. Well, we're not talking about our fucking friend. That's true. Beating and abusing and killing slaves. So that's true. I guess ours are not as juicy <laughs> as these other people's because it's literally like a, a co like a coworker or somebody that worked on the property that was writing letters oh. to his family, and that's like all the letters that kind of. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so let's dive into it. All right. So we have Marie Delphine McCarty in Spanish colonial Louisiana. She's born on March 19th, 1787. Oh, way She's, back. Yeah. I'm going to fuck all these names up. Guess what? I don't fucking care. Math I don't and facts. Care. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> so he, she's the daughter of Chevalier Luis Bartholomew McCarty and his wife Marie Jeanne Larable. Fucking who cares? It looks like she also had some money and was raised by was raised on a family plantation who also had slaves. So at the end of the day, bitch was kind of born rich. Yeah. At age 13, Delphine is getting wild, as one does, and, and I guess that's what happens in the 1800s, and she's involved in an affair what? with a guy named Ramon Lopez E. Anguilo, who is at the ripe age of 35. <laughs> Wait, she's 13, 13 and 35? 13 and 35. Ew. Love affair. Gross. I know. He's already a widower uh, by the time that he makes it to Louisiana or New Orleans, essentially. Fuck, everyone was dying young. Jeez. At 35, like, everything's weird. The second you had a period, they were like, get her pregnant. <laughs> Knock her up. You know? You know I'm right. At that point, it was like, at 13, you were fucking 28. Right? So Apparently, that's what, I wonder how old his widow or his ex Probably was. her, his age. She got on guess. a Who school knows? field trip after recess. Okay. What? It's like, I have a lot to tell you. Okay, sorry, go. I was like, if we do this, this will be a two-hour episode. Part one. <laughs> Let's do it now. Okay, I'll shut up. Um, so he assumed the position as second in command to the Spanish governor. So this guy came over. To uh, New Orleans or Louisiana, whatever. And he is like pretty high up there. Within six months, they're married. And apparently you have to have like permission from the king to get married, like to marry a local woman at that time. And homeboy <laughs> was impatient and he couldn't wait for it. So he doesn't wait for the royal license. And he cites reasons of conscience and honor. What? I'm going to say he was fucking her. I needed to be sure that they were married. Yeah. He persuaded the bishop of Louisiana to perform the ceremony in June of 1800. Well, once that goes back to King Car uh, Carlos the IV, what is that, five? I don't know. Who knows? Well, anyway, <laughs> that King, King Carlos, Lopez gets fucking relieved of his duties. Like, he was way up there. And because he married her and didn't wait for the king, the wow. king's like, fuck you, bro. Yeah, bye. And he gets demoted. And then they make him go back to Spain, and he's assigned to a low-level position in some backwater fucking town. <laughs> uh, from there, he writes a whole bunch of fucking letters because that's all you can really do. And he's like, this is, this is, no. Like, I have powerful enemies in Louisiana and Spain. Like, this is not cool. Let me have my, let me have my shit back. Like, 
chill out, dude. I want my pink shirt back. Yeah. Like, yeah. fuck you. And finally, the king is like, fine, fine. And they <laughs> appoint him uh, as Spanish consul to New Orleans. And then he's like under the American administration. Who really fucking cares? Basically, a whole bunch of drama. Well, whenever Homeboy is coming back to New uh, New Orleans, mm-hmm. he's on a vessel and the vessel runs into ground and he dies. Oh, and they don't really say why or how he dies. They just say it's from running the ship into land. Oh. So, guy dies. Oof. We can speculate however we want to specu- speculate because it was him coming back to that job that he had wanted. So, who fucking knows? Hmm. But at that point, sadly, Delphine was pregnant with his baby. And literally just a few days after he dies, she gives birth to her first child. Oh, shit. Yeah. Marie Delphine Francesca Borgia Lopez y Anguillo is oh. the name. Yeah. Casual. Gosh. You could probably find that on a... Like a rest area where they have the little license plates. Could you imagine just fucking like, I want to monogram this. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck like is that? Alphabet soup. Yeah. That's what it would be. Looks like stupid work jargon. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> anyway, Delphine decides to go back to New Orleans with her daughter. And just a few years later, essentially in 1807. So what? She was 13 in 1800. So she's now 20. In 1807, she gets remarried to a Frenchman named Jean Blanc, with whom she had four children. So she's just cranking out the babies. We Jeez. have Pauline, Laura, Jean, and Pauline. I don't. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's not right. At the end of the day, math and facts. That's right. Jean Blanc was a merchant, a lawyer, a banker, a state legislator, a political intriguer, whatever the fuck that means, what? and a major slave trader. Ugh. So she obviously has finer taste in life, and she had married a wealthier man. Many. He's also a close associate of the pirates Jean and Pierre Lafitte. Um, and look how crazy this is. It's Blanc who in 1814 delivered Jean Lafitte's famous letter to Governor Clamborn in which Lafitte offered his men to help defend New Orleans against the British in the War of 1812. So Homeboy was either famous then or became famous. It was his fucking letter that was like, save the fucking war. Huh. Or did something in the war of 1812. I didn't click on it. You're I got a lot of information. A historian. I know. I know so much. Good thing this is a history podcast. God. Oh, man. Okay. Everything's fine. It kind of is. It is everything in the past. <laughs> we are telling stories of the past. True. Um, so sadly, he dies in, in 1815. Okay. And that leaves Delphine to settle his big ass debts, which he had a whole bunch of shit. So you have a whole bunch of debts and raise their five young children. And she still had another one. So there's six kids up in there. A later inheritance from her father, plus her own like intense ass business dealings. Essentially, she gets back on solid footing. Good for her. Apparently for this. For now. For this moment, we can support the fact that she is an independent woman making money. Yes. Way to go. She is now wealthy. At some point in this, she meets her third husband and his name's Louise LaLaurie. Now, this one, I don't fucking know. In February of 1812, Lori, who's a son of a respectable middle class uh, family in the French village of, uh, I don't know, <laughs> he arrives to New Orleans from Bordeaux and he's, he comes on a ship called Fanny, which that made me laugh. I didn't cut that out. There's so many facts in here that I cut out, but I was like, let's leave in Fanny. The ship's name's Fanny? Yeah. That means pussy in Britain. Doesn't mean a cigarette too, or no? That's a fag. You're right. In Britain. A cigarette. So we yes. are very supportive yes. of our gays and everyone. Yeah. 22 years old. Okay. Homeboy is 22. I just want to mention his age. Okay. He's fresh out of med school and he's ready to make a name for himself. They say he's like, he was probably naive. I don't know. Uh, He's 22. They all are. Right. (laughs) 
Who's fucking not naive at 22? Yeah. He plays, well, maybe people who who grew up in the War of 1812. <laughs> when we're watching all of our old war movies, I'm like, these motherfuckers were not naive. They saw and knew things. <laughs> he places an advertisement in a newspaper saying that he would straighten crooked backs. Oh. And other, what was, other de- deformities. And anyway, he's basically a fucking chiropractor and he's like, yo. I'll help. I'll help fix them backs. And apparently, uh, Delphine had a child. One of her daughters had a deformed back. So people say. At the end of the day, rumor has it that Delphine came to his shop to then get someone's back popped. So <laughs> I'm gonna say Not her between own. 1825 <laughs> and eight, right? And 1827. Well, not really. Oh, because keep in mind she's like 40. Well, and he's she, 22. Cougar. She also has only married rich older men. Oh. So fun. This is where math and facts again. Okay. So she, like, Luis had received a whole bunch of letters from his dad, and his dad's like, hey, marry some wealthy bitch with some connections. It'll help you out in the long run. He talks He talks to him about Madame, Le, uh, Madame Blanc, and it doesn't seem like in any of the letters that he's like, go wife her up. It's just like, hey, she has good connections. You should probably, you Like know, a networking opportunity. A hundred percent. Yes. And popular legend characterizes Luis as like this inconspicuous, they literally have a quoted colorless man who's meek and mousy. He's a meek and mousy little man. Meek and mousy. <laughs> but Delph- Delphine apparently thinks that he's quite attractive because by 1826, they're fucking... What? Yeah, and she's pregnant. Again? Yeah. And so their son, Jean-Louis LaLaurie, was born on August 13th, 1827. The rector, the rectors, the records do indicate that this bitch was not married when she had her kid, which... <gasps> oh, my God. Oh. Spicy. So, so spicy. spicy. I'm like, ooh, not a little girl. She's having her big affairs at 13 and getting knocked up like by little boys in her 40s. Oof. Anyway, they get married five months after January 12th of 1828. All right. So when they get married, they have a prenup or whatever you want to fucking call it back then. Now, for her, she gets control over her personal property, her real estate and her slaves. Total worth is $67,000. I have no idea what that is today, but I'm going to assume it's big fucking money. Yeah. And Lori brought in a whopping two grand. What? To the marriage. He did? And he only had that because of his mother passing away. So he has no money and he's younger. So there's going to be all that. Let's let's ponder. Obviously, I'm going to say obviously he married her for yeah. the money mm-hmm. and everything else. I'm Assumptions. Yeah. Assumptions are being made. Yeah. I obviously wasn't there in 1828. I was not their witness. I to was. Their and I think that yeah. was a fun one. I think that she thought he was hot and maybe he had a big old dick. And she was like, I have enough money now. I don't really care. As, yeah. I mean, mate, she had her own shit. Yeah. So I'm going to get a young little stud yeah, or I'm, a meek mouse or whatever the fuck you say. Yeah. A meek, a meek boy. <laughs> um, anyway, she is a 40-year-old grandmother and she's been widowed for 10 years. And she married like this 24-year-old guy. And it's like, okay. Apparently, the marriage wasn't great. Shocking news. What? Uh, records show that they fought a ton. They'd break up. They'd separate. And then they'd get back together. Super fucking toxic. That is letters from one of the, like, 
people that worked with them writing back to his family. <laughs> so during the first few year, years of their marriage, the Lorries lived in Delphine's riverfront plantation below the city. But she had her eyes set on this fucking really pretty mansion that they were working on. So it was under construction. And in 1831, she bought two lots, which stood partially completed residence that basically gave a service wing containing the kitchen and slave quarters. So they move into this banging ass house. They keep fucking fighting. And in 1832, Delphine pet- uh, petitions the court for a separation. She's testifying that LaLaurie's treatment had rendered their living together unsupportable and that in the presence of many witnesses, he beat and wounded her in the most outrageous and cruel manner. And she asked the judge to or authorize her to live separately from her husband in the home she now occupies with her family. So she stated before a notary that his medical practice required him spending a lot of time in this other parish. And apparently another thing that people wanted to point out is it's like in this like so he had to be gone a lot, but the area was really remote. So it's basically being like I'm a doctor who's a doctor in a really remote place versus downtown New Orleans. Yeah, that's so no one got that either. That's sketch. So some people were like, did he was he with another woman like elsewhere? And that's really what was going on. Probably. And that's what they think maybe because she couldn't control her younger husband that that's what like triggered her in American Horror Story. She had killed a chicken because somebody else wouldn't. And whenever she'd killed the chicken and like the blood got on her hands, she saw like the bloodlust. And that's what made her want to. So supposedly, Mm -hmm. I I would say that's a good. Yeah, she kind of lost her shit. Now, what other people do say at this point, he is he's over there in his like little remote part. She's separated. But apparently rumors are now circulating around the town that she is mistreating her slaves as well. So all of this information is from old letters in his 1828. Uh, I, you guys, uh, some dude with a hard name wrote to some other dude with a really long hard name <laughs> and basically was talking about all this shit. And it, this is, this looks like it's quoted. I don't really fucking know if it is. Finally, justice descended on her home. And after being assured of the truth of the denunciations of barbarous treatment of her slaves, contrary to the law, the authorities found them still all bloody. He wrote to his uh, about his employer. They say in 1832, he communicated to his friend again that she was indicted in a criminal court for abusing her slaves, but they can see that like she obviously paid him off. He wrote or excuse me, he didn't write the criminal court records during that time period, though, of course, were lost. Ooh, wow. convenient. I know. But there's no so essentially there's no existing documentation besides that guy like writing about what was happening. But in 1828, 1829 or 1832, there were charges against Madame LaLaurie. One very important piece of evidence did, however, come to light on June 22nd, 1829. uh, John Randolph Grimes, one of the most famous attorneys of the day, signed a document stating that he had received of Madame LaLaurie $300 for my fee for defending the prosecution of the state against her in the criminal court. Long story short. Bitch went to court for it at some point, got away with it. Mm. So there's that. Everyone knows some bad shit's going on. They went to court. She paid her way out. Now, then there's this big fucking fire. It's this. This is like the infamous thing that happened. So on the morning of April 10th, 1834. So years later, despite their legal separation, both husband and wife were at the house. Intriguing Mm -hmm. because it is toxic. They do come back and forth to each other. There's a huge fire on the property. 
between April 10th and April 15th, a whole bunch of accounts are going to come circulating and they're hitting the newspapers and all that jazz. Two separate editors who had been eyewitnesses to the events of that day had seen the slaves and they were starved and they were mutilated. And they made only like, I see why. I was like, I feel like this got really, really long. I think something like duplicated in my notes. Uh So everyone bear with me in case I stumble because I don't know if it happened, but I think it happened. Which will explain why I have 27 pages here. <laughs> so hitting file print can be complicated. <laughs> so they're going through it and the newspapers are picking it up. Out of state newspapers are picking it up. Everyone is kind of like, what the fuck happened? A big ass fire broke out because of it. One of the judges, like people are, it's in downtown. Yeah. So people are, people are circulating, like people are there. And one of the people is like this judge. Judge Francois, Jacques Francois, something. (laughs) He asks them, he's like, dude, they know based off the layout of the house that the slaves are in the top corner of it. And they're like, can we fire spreading? We should probably just make sure that there's no one in the the house. Pretty much is what the dude's saying. Like, we need to do something. Let's make sure that everyone's out of the house. Your slave quarters are over here. We do not see slaves outside. Yeah. So we should probably make sure that we get them. Louise, who is a cunt, just as an FY, mm-hmm. the dude li- li- literally says in a polite manner, like there's people around that say that this shit happened. OK. OK. And it's recorded in either newspapers or letters. It's about to make me mad. At it. Uh, yeah. Um, but it doesn't really matter, I guess. The damage is already done. So in a polite manner, he asked permission from the LaLauries to have the slaves removed to a place of safety is what he says. Luis says very rudely, there are those who would be better employed if they would attend to their own affairs instead of officiously intermeddling with the concerns of other people. So basically, in a very astute way, he was like, fuck off. Yeah. Worry about your own house. And it's like, dude, your house is on fire. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so the people are like, fuck this. And they break down the doors. So wow. that judge and all the people, Good. they break down the doors. And when they walk into it, they literally are saying it was the most appalling sight. Oh, no. There were several wretched Negro. My apologies for how I'm going to word everything. I'm just doing it off of. Yeah. This is how it was worded. Wretched Negroes emerged from the fire. Their bodies were covered with scars and loaded with chains. Altogether, the rescuers discovered seven slaves, more or less horribly mutilated. Um, Some were suspended by the neck with their limbs stretched and torn from one extremity to the other. Oh, my God. You're like, are you understanding that, that they were hanging from their neck and they had ripped their. Yeah. Does it say that they ripped their arms off? That's how I. Right. I read that a few times. and I was like. Either way, it sounds fucking terrible. Right. 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 So then they also found an elderly negress. I don't know. I've never seen that word before. It was really feeble. And she like they had to carry her out. She had a really deep wound to her head. Another woman was chained in the kitchen and another. And so apparently from what I hear and what I read in another one, I might get to it, might not. It's been a lot of info The the woman who was chained in the kitchen is the one that started the fire to try to get people's attention that they were being chained. Uh, so the cook was chained to the stove. Oh my god! And couldn't move or anything. Start a fucking fire too, right? And she obviously did. To she risked her life if she didn't die. I don't understand how she could have started the fire and didn't die. She was probably so miserable. She's like, why not? Why fucking not? Yeah. Um, another woman was wearing an iron collar, 
and chained with heavy irons on her feet. A man had a large hole in his head. Oh. His body was covered from head to foot with scars, and they were filled with worms. Yeah. Mm-mm. Uh, mulatto boy, I don't know what that means necessary, necessarily, um, declared that he had been chained for five months, being fed daily with only a handful of meal and receiving every morning the most cruel treatment. And none of the um, people were identified by name. They rescued the say the slaves and they were carried to the mayor's office and they were thankfully taken care of. So they were given medical treatment, food, water. At the end of the day, though, I do think some of them did uh, succumb to their wounds and, and everything that already happened. So jumping into other stories. So this was another one. I grabbed this part from Wikipedia because it felt like they had a lot of information. The funeral registers between 1830 and 1834, the documents of the de- deaths of 12 slaves. At the Royal Street Mansion. Jeez. Yeah, 12 within four years. And those are documented. Yeah. Although the causes of death were not mentioned and infectious diseases could have been the cause, these 12 deaths included Bon, a cook and laundress, and her four children, Juliet, who was 13, Florence, who was 10, Jules, who was six, and Leotine, who was four. So it doesn't make any sense why all of them died at once. Bond had previously been enslaved by a refugee from St. Domingue, I guess, and he was described in her sale as a chronic runaway. There was that kind of like concept too. like one of them always kind of left. I'm going to assume they probably tried to run away and she killed him. Right. I'd fucking run away, too. They say that the court records uh, did tell them that she freed two slaves, Jean-Louis in, 18, in 1819 and de, de Vince, I don't know, in 1832. They wrote that there were public rumors that the lawyer's mistreatment of slaves on her property were sufficiently widespread that a local lawyer was dispatched to Royal Street to remind the Lalauries of the laws to upkeep their slaves. So he went over there and he was like, hey, you can't do that shit. Yeah. Like, you're not allowed to torture them. You're supposed to treat them well. Now, they said that whenever that attorney was there, that there was no evidence of any wrongdoing. They also said that there were tales of her cruelty that would that were current among New Orleans residents in and about 1836. She said that there was a subsequent visits of lawyers. One of the neighbors saw an eight-year-old slave girl fall to her death from the roof of the Royal Street Mansion while trying to avoid punishment from a Madame LaLaurie who was um, holding a whip in her hand. Oh, my God. An eight-year-old fell from the top of a mansion. Jean de Lavigne, in her 1945 account, gave the child's age as 12 and her name as Leah. Mm. Later, writers would say that the reason for it was because she was combing Delphine's hair and she hit a snag. Because she had ratty hair. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so she chased her and she ran out and they continued and she fell off the top of the building. According to uh, Martineau, who I don't know who that is, the incident led to an investigation of the Lalauries in which they were found guilty of illegal cruelty and forced to forfeit nine slaves uh, from their household. But they were bought back by the Lalauries through an intermediary relative. Oh, so they went and returned to the Royal Street resident. It's like me having mine taken away from me and I have you buy them back and then you bring them back to my house. That's so sad. All this life shit is so fucked up on first of all. And then to the fact that they think that they're like, oh, we finally get away with this crazy bitch. Maybe we'll at the bare minimum get someone that will treat us better. And then they have to go right back. 
So apparently I read two and this one was like kind of I don't want to say I don't know. I don't know enough. Bear with me in my statement of what it is that that I read. So at one point, these slaves had like turned against one of the and I believe all of this was in Louisiana at the time. They had turned against their slave owner and they killed him. Mm-hmm. And it, they were starting to uh, retaliate. Good. Right. <laughs> but because of that, then the people who did have their slaves were then treating him way worse out of fear that they would oh. then turn against him. So it actually didn't help the case of anything. And in, it in turn started having the slave owners treat him even worse out of fear of retaliation. Oh, so fucked up. Which I would feel like if you were treating someone nicely, you wouldn't be as worried. <sighs> Guys, I had a big Oyana I was holding in. <laughs> I was about to water from it. You know, you can't be holding them in. It's like a fart. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a fart. It's like a fart. You're supposed to let them go. So anyway, and oh, as I mentioned, one of the yes, that they kept their cook chained chained to the kitchen stove, and that they would guess what she would also do. She would beat her daughters if she fed the slaves. Like if if her daughters fed them, she would beat them. Fuck this bitch. Okay, so because of all this fucking fuck fucking all the fucking <laughs> all all of it, all not of just it. part. Correct. Okay. So because of all this shit, the town is pissed off. Yeah. And so the whole town, after the fire and after they find these slaves who were obviously tortured, yeah, they are then staying outside of the house and they're like, let's see the arrest. They're like trying to watch her get in trouble? No, I think they were just like, I mean, yeah, let's say that. But they're also like, okay, fuck you. You already went to court over this and you now we have evidence. Everyone saw it. Like, go get arrested. Plus, everybody's been obsessed with true crime forever anyway. Right. Well, it's so. been days. And nothing happens. They they keep living there. Days go by and randomly, uh, Madame LaLaurie's enslaved coachman, Bastian, who is a slave, he ends up arriving with her carriage and she goes in and they leave. And then where does she go? I mean, that's the end of the story. No. <laughs> but she got oh away. God. So all of that happened and she lives she the just, rest of her life free. She just, FY. What? No. Yes. That's so annoying. I know. I promise that's not the end of the story, but I do oh, need that- water. <laughs> I was like, fuck her. I'm like, that's such a shitty story. <laughs> the newspapers reported that her su- successful successful escape from the hands of justice fucking happened. And um, rioters were like, no. Good. So then everyone goes into the house that obviously had sustained some fire damage. What do you know with these yards? <laughs> you don't like the story? <laughs> I don't, I'm like, dude, what? Do I need to stand up and like... That roofie I put in your water kicking it. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> so the rioters come into the house. They smash the furniture, china, crystal, all of her works of art. They wreck um, the floors, the stairs. They're just they broke all shit? the windows. They dismantle the fucking iron balconies. What? And they <laughs> nearly rip the entire house apart. They're that pissed off? Oh, yeah. It's like a bit, they're shooting a video for the Limp Biscuit song. Just breaks stuff. I would hope, too, that they are like, I hope they're stealing shit. If it, like, they're saying they wrecked it, I really hope they just stole they it. wrecked it down to the pawn shop. That would be, I, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Like, I'm hoping y'all made some money off of that. Mm-hmm. But go them. Yeah. I mean, I would never approve rioting, especially after everything that's happened since 2020. Mm-hmm. But... In the case that the woman got away with killing and murdering people. Yeah, fuck go that. Fu- you shouldn't have your money. Fuck you. Yeah, that could be a rage room. Right? Yeah. Let me see here. 
<laughs> the French consul Armand, who cares, submitted an account to the French Minister of Foreign Affairs because apparently she goes to France. And they described, so here it is, to um, Salary told of his visit to whatever, to see the sufferers and describe their dislocated heads, legs torn by the chains, mm. and bodies streaked with blood from head to foot from whiplashes and, sh- and sharp instruments. They were truly fucking tortured. What a fucking bitch. Yes. And then they also talk about how people rushed into, like, in the paperwork, they're talking about how people rushed in to get the victims out. And they said that they carried on, they were carried on stretchers and laid under the arches of wherever they were, I don't know, and that they were barely breathing. Mm. That it was cruel and barbarous character is what they saw of what she did. And then they said that it was just complete bullshit that she was basically able to just leave. It is bullshit. It is. So she ends up boarding a schooner, for anyone who doesn't know. That's a boat. Oh, I thought it was Um, to drink. At a schooner bar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they crossed the lake to the town of Mandeville. She and her husband remained there long enough to put their business affairs in order and assign power of attorney to their son-in-law, Placide Forstall and August Delassus. Uh, Delphine had made no arrangements for the emancipation of any of her slaves, not even Bastion, the one who helped the one that ran her. Yeah. From uh, Mandeville, the Lalories traveled to Mobile and and thence. I said France, but I don't fucking know anymore. I don't know where we're at because it was New Orleans. I don't think you just take a boat to France. I mean, maybe. Maybe at some point she gets there. But then they're in New York City. I don't know. On June 24th, 1834. There we go. There we go. And then they do. They set sail for the French port of La Le Havre. <laughs> and one of their so one of their passengers that's there is the American poet William Colin Bry uh, Bry. <laughs> Man, you had one named William. I was like, she'll get this one. <laughs> Bryant. That was the word I you know. Got <laughs> who notes in his journal that she was there? So everyone. That's the one thing I want to mention too. Everyone knows of Madame Lalaurie. They yeah. know what she looks like. They know who she is. They know, know that she she's like. free. They know that she's out in a boot. The lady he wrote was the one known to have committed such horrible cruelties upon her slaves. She seemed much affected by the reserve with which the other travelers treated her and was frequently seen in tears. Oh, my gosh. First of all, I just wanted you to know when I Googled her, uh, Kathy Bates picture showed up first. And I was like, she looks familiar. (laughs) Oh, wow. Because she is Miserous Bates. Oh. So... Basically, FYI, she was crying the whole time because everyone was like, fuck you, you cunt whore. Yeah. Which then made me think, too, when I was looking through, I was like, that is kind of a bummer if you were if people thought you did a crime, but you didn't. And so everyone just hated you for it. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that kind of sucks. Well, this is the house. Mm-hmm. Ain't it pretty now? They yeah. redid it. It's well, been I'd like say they'd have to. Three weeks later, the Lalauries and their young son, Jean-Louis, they disembark and they make their way to Louis Lalaurie's family home in France. After a short and uncomfortable stay, they departed to Paris. They were joined there by Delphine's unmarried adult children, Pauline, Laura, and Pauline Blanc. Within a few years, they left for Cuba and was never reunited with his uh, wife and son, and he eventually died in 1863. Back in New Orleans, though, Placid, I think that's, I don't know how to say their name, was acting as the agent for Madame LaLaurie, right? So one of her son-in-laws, whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was supposed to be disposing of the ruined house and the slaves. So he sold the Royal Street Mansion for $14,000, less than half of the original price of $33,000. 
$750. I bet no one wanted to buy it. Well, it was also completely fucked. Yeah. Forrestal also sold 11 of the 30 enslaved men and women owned by Delphine at the time of the fire, including Bastion. This leaves 19 people unaccounted for in the record. Mm. And at the time, that's when slaves were property and record keeping was meticulous. So this is unusual that 19. You don't just lose 19 people. No. So she obviously tortured and killed 19. What a bitch. Slaves. Um, If you look at her picture, she doesn't. I wouldn't have guessed that. If you would have showed me her photo, you wouldn't have been like, this bitch mutilated a bunch of people. No. Not at all. And they do say, too, that, like, they they think that most of them probably had died from the abuse and starvation Mm. because she wasn't feeding any of them anything and that they all had debilitating injuries as well. In Paris, Delphine and her children, like, went rented lodgings, and they had a whole bunch of different um, places that they lived in super fashionable areas. They were living the high life. Mm. Well, fun fact— the um, son-in-law never sent the money. <laughs> he didn't? Yeah. He like he, he, Delphine gave him the right to do all this shit with the money, and he never sent it to them. <laughs> and so she was starting to freak out because she was living this exorbitant luxury, like luxurious lifestyle. Yeah. And he was not sending the money. Well, back so, then, it's not like you could just, they don't take your credit card. Or put I mean, at the end of the day, hold. you still couldn't get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But Even I, today, it's you can people are conned from their money all the time, and you can't get the money. It's true. Yeah. They, even if that happened today, literally, there's nothing you could do if someone was in charge of all of your money to send you the money. Yeah. I just meant, like, she could go to, like, the fancy places, and she's like, yeah, I'll pay you on a checkout. Yeah. Because um, it's not like they swipe your card I think what happened is she had taken, like, a loan out oh. and couldn't pay the loan back kind of scenario. Oh. And so she was worried that the creditors wouldn't give her any more promissory notes because yeah. the bank was essentially like drying up. Yeah. I don't know. She was like, well, I'm going to have to go back to New Orleans to figure this out. And all of her family is like, don't fucking go back to New Orleans, you fucking idiot. <laughs> I was like, they literally wrote through like the family. So, okay, in 1842, Delphine's son, Paulin Blanc, wrote to um, August one of the guys who had the money that wasn't giving it to her, that his mother was serious about traveling to New Orleans. She has been thinking about this for a long time. We comfort ourselves with the hope that moments of bad humor alone could make her nourish such a thought. And that's referring to the sad memories of the catastrophe of 1834. He conveyed that he, who had lived with her and studied her for years, had seen that time hasn't changed anything in that indomitable nature. Mm. And that by her character, she is again preparing many sufferings for her children. I bemoan the fate that awaits us if ever again my mother sets foot in that place where her conduct elicited general disapproval. She has caused us to shed many tears, and where she goes, we prepare ourselves for bad news owing to her presence. Paulin had reached the conclusion that his mother never had any idea concerning the cause of her departure from New Orleans. Like, she—I mean— Fuck her, man. Yeah. And the family. And, like, back then, too, I guess you had to, like, just stick with your family. Like, Mm. why her kids stayed with her— yeah, I guess th- this like the time where you had to respect your elders. Family was everything. Now you could be like, mm, you're be- you're kind of being a cunt, mom. So yeah, like you know, we you you kind of beat me and chained me yeah. for feeding people because they were starving to death. Yeah, because of you. Yeah, they wonder if it's because her health was getting worse or whatever. But she never made it back to New Orleans. One version of the Lalori legend, because it's pretty much that at this point, mm-hmm. says that in 1842 she was gored to death by a wild boar. While on a hunting expedition. What? Oh, she went hunting? And her, yeah. <laughs> who knows? I yeah, mean, no, maybe no, it was, that's, Who knows? If she wanted to kill things, sure would make a lot of sense. It's true. 
And then they say that her body was returned to New Orleans for a burial at St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. In reality, Delphine died after a long illness at her home in Paris on December 7, 1849. Her funeral took place the next day at the nearby church of St. Louis Denton. She was temporarily interred in the cemetery of Mont... Montremarte, but in caretakers records show that her remains were indeed exhumed in 1851 and they did go back to New Orleans they they still brought her back to New Orleans I would just throw her flush her down the fucking toilet right whenever those were invented they say that according to the ownership and uh, registers for some fucking place in New Orleans the tomb in St. Louis Cemetery number one that is said to be Madame LaLaurie's final resting place belonged to her son Paulin uh, Blanc Paulin may have purchased this tomb before having his mother's body returned from Paris, and she is probably buried there. Owing to poor record keeping, they don't technically know, and none of her immediate family are included in the list. So, I don't know. The final record is saying that of her great-granddaughter, who died in 1884. So, they think. They think. But it could he could have really bought the tomb and never put her body in it. So they're not 100% sure where her actual body is. Yeah. Now, eyewitnesses also said she probably had mental health issues. So, uh, you think? Right. Who knew that? Uh, so she was really erratic and violent, and then she would be fine the next day. So through papers, it looks like Luis did want to get away. So once they kind of went through everything else, her husband was trying to, like, get away from her. He was spending time in another location, which makes people wonder if at the end of the day he was seeing somebody else. And because of that, she would just go upstairs and take all of her rage and her violence out on the poor slaves. Uh, I mean, yeah, that would make sense. Now, here is where they're like, what? After 1945, accounts of those enslaved by the Lalories became more explicit. So here's where it's like in the book that we read, the one page that we read that was about LaLaurie, Madame LaLaurie. This is where you're hearing all of the other accounts. So I'm literally reading this word for word as it was in Wikipedia because it's a lot of quoting and then pulling things out. And I just don't have the fucking patience to try to do all that. (laughs) So my bad. Um, Jean or maybe Jean or maybe Gione, Jean, Jean, Jean. De Levine, <laughs> writing in Ghost Stories of Old New Orleans in 1946, alleged that LaLaurie had a sadistic appetite, seemed never appeased until she had inflicted on one or more of her black servitors some hideous form of torture and claimed that those who responded to the 1834 fire had found male slaves stark naked, chained to the wall, their eyes gouged out, their fingernails pulled off by the roots. Others had their joints skinned and festering great holes in their buttocks where the flesh had been sliced away. Their ears were hanging by shreds. Their lips were sewn together. What the fuck? Their intestines were pulled out and knotted around their naked waists. There were holes in their skulls where a rough stick had been inserted in to stir their brains. What are you saying? That. Is what she's known for, is that chunk of information. What? Gouged out eyes, mouth yes. sewn together. Yeah. I'm disturbed deeply. I would hope you would be. Ugh. If you're like, that sounds like something I want to get into, <laughs> then we'd be worried. Yeah. They do say, though, that there's nothing that supports that. I hope it didn't happen. 
I hope it's fictitious. I it's hope it is too, but f- I wouldn't be shocked. At the yeah. end of the day, there's 19 slaves that what they saw was horrible. Yeah. And that was just in that moment. Mm-hmm. You don't need to keep dead bodies hanging up forever. Mm. And I presume some of it, I mean, I'm sure it's the game of telephone too, but who, who true? I don't know. Oh God. I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to shake my shaker bottle and I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> ASMR. <laughs> the story was further embellished in Journey into Darkness, Ghosts and Vampires of New Orleans in 1998 by Kalila Katharina Smith, the operator of a New Orleans ghost tour business. Go her. Right. In her book, she had added several more explicit details to the discoveries allegedly made by rescuers during the 1834 fire, including a victim who obviously had their arms amputated oh. and her skin peeled off in a circular pattern making her look like a human caterpillar. And another who had her limbs broken and reset at odd angles so that she resembled a human crab. Oh, my God. What a bitch. Ugh. On this one, though? No. There's more? Stop talking. No. They- <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> that in her book, that some, many of the details, the new details, were unsourced, while others were not supported by the sources given. So... Homegirl lied, probably for a book. Yeah, yeah, like an unofficial biography. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, it sound really fucked up <laughs> if I say that they broke the arms to look like a human crab and uh-huh. a centipede. Hopefully, that is not true. All of it fucking sucks. Yeah. Today, modern retellings of uh, Lalaurie's legend often use Delphine's or Delavine and Smith's versions of the tale. So those two people, because they're so fucking vulgar and terrible. Yeah. A lot of people pretty much say that. Use those. Yeah. But they also say, too, that there's other people who believe that Lori's, that uh, under LaLaurie's care, as many as 100 slaves had been killed. So you just, you don't know. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. But, like, one of them, too, that I that I heard was confirmed is, like, and I didn't see it in here, and I don't know where the fuck it went in my notes. Yeah. But, like, the the one of the women who had to wear, like, the thing around her neck, it had spikes so she could never rest her head. Oh, God. Yeah, so it had to just always be up straight, which means you'd never sleep. Yeah, no. And so I'm pretty sure, I think, I do think, unfortunately, guys, I think that some of it really did happen. Yeah. I really do. I do think that she probably did crazy shit because if she could do, if what they know that she did happened and there's actual recounting of it, Mm -hmm. why would she have not done some of the, now the crazy shit with the arms and the leg and the crap, I hope not, but I wouldn't be shocked if she did disembowel them. Yeah. Because she was crazy and now you have dead bodies that you just get to play with and you're crazy. Right? Is this a movie? It's the show, right? Yeah. But it's also redone in a million different ways because it's so crazy. Yeah. But it, you have to watch season three of American Horror Story. So they, I remember watching that and being fucked up for like 17 weeks afterwards. So you should do it. <laughs> It'll be fun. I don't know if I can. I don't know that I could either. Now that I know that when I saw it, I like, you know, that they do those shows kind of based off of people. I, mm-hmm. I don't know that I could now that I like know as much as I actually do about Madame LaLaurie. Yeah, no. Ooh. But just so you know, that is indeed the wild story of Madame Delphine LaLaurie and her <sighs> bloodlust. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. That was a that was a that was intense. Right? Yeah. I didn't know any of that. And I texted you today and said, I'm excited to hear it. Well, thanks. 
You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, that was wild. It was wild. Mm-hmm. It was wild. Yeah. And it's crazy that she got away with it. Okay. But everyone hated her too. So maybe. Good. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Maybe <laughs> live. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe mm. I should say I don't know more <laughs> because I just I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. I think that I like whenever you tell stories that involve other countries like you did the one from was it Japan and you had to try to name all the names. I suck at and that. that. No, it's my favorite because you're like, hey, should we, should we? <laughs> I mean, as you should. I don't fucking know how to say it. I don't fucking know. I can barely speak English. Dude, we're not getting paid two million an episode of this podcast <laughs> for me to look up how to fucking say that yet. Right. <laughs> yes. One day. That's all I got. Yeah? yeah. Crushed it. I Sorry for the yawns. Thanks for going solo and boring yourself today. I know, I don't know. She's like, I do know the story. I'm bored. I, know. Oh. I, I just read all this and already the- for the eighth time. <laughs> and then it fucks with you, man. This shit fucks with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just always want to hope that if a horrible shit happens that like we just go into shock and we don't feel things. That's like, that's the only, honestly, that's the only way I get through some of this shit is like that adrenaline rushes happen. Like there's a there's the statement that you cannot remember pain like you cannot recreate pain in your head. And the reason for that is because of childbirth. So there's like some part of us as human beings have made it to where we cannot fully remember a physical pain oh. because if we did, we would have never procreated. Oh, it's our lizard brain. The worst pain in the world is giving birth. Good thing. I don't have to or fuck with that torture or that hopefully. <laughs> Apparently. So anyway, I don't know. I just, I hope. Both sound like torture to me. (laughs) I just hope for the sake of anyone that was involved in that, which it sucks. Like they were in my, they were starved and then tortured. So it's just weird. It is. Well, you guys, I think I'm done. Are you done? I think I'm done. You gonna take a nap? I I should. I'm trying to chug some pre-workout so I can go work out. (laughs) We love you guys. Thanks. We sure do. Thanks for listening. Can you please like, rate, review, and subscribe? Yeah, please. We would appreciate it. And thank you. Yes. Okay, okay. Love, you, bye. love you, bye. Theodore, can I put that down?